The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Hello and welcome to the True Ground Never Sleeps podcast. I'm your host, Larry Lease. Today we continue our series, Shit Out of Luck, our take on the Hatton Garden Heist. The story of the men behind the Hatton Garden Heist and how they were caught. So join us as we dive right in. On Easter weekend 2015, a group of men successfully pulled off the biggest burglary in English legal history at London's Hatton Garden safe deposit. Or at least they did for a brief but shining moment. During the old school bank heist, now known notoriously as the Hatton Garden Heist, the gang stole an estimated 14 million pounds worth of jewels, gold, and cash before they were caught. And as of 2016, as much as 9 to 12 million worth of their loot had still never been found. Planning the job at Hatton Garden began in perhaps the most British way possible, meeting in a local pub called the Castle on Friday nights. Plans took up to three years to fully formalize and were later described as ingenious these career criminals had managed to identify some simple but key weaknesses in the vaults, including the fact that it was virtually unguarded after office hours, and there was an out-of-use elevator shaft they could use to completely bypass the safe stores instead of drilling through the walls. On Thursday, April 2nd, 2015, the Hatton Garden Safe Deposit Vault set off to celebrate their long weekend at about 9 p.m. Shortly after the doors locked behind them, the pieces of a highly organized robbery were set into motion. Disguised in, in workman's clothes, complete with a load of actual tools and equipment, five of the members of the gang let themselves through a back door. So discreetly, there were no signs of forced entry. From there, they descended a fire escape to the unused elevator, sending it to the second floor and disabling it, allowing them to crawl down through the shaft to reach the basement's underground. From here, they had to force open heavy doors, but they had brought the proper equipment to wrench it open. Perhaps most crucially, the gang's alarm specialist, a mysterious figure known as Basil, disabled the alarm system in a manner 
still unknown, as well as disabled CCTV cameras on location. Ironically, the damage alarm still managed to get a signal out, but alas, the warning went unheeded. At 12.21 a.m., Scotland Yard received information that the vault's alarm had been triggered, but they didn't send any police to respond, a failure in procedure they later apologized for. About an hour after the alarm sounded, the vault's security guard arrived from his home to check the scene. Because the police never arrived, he was limited to what measures he could take. The vault had a policy not to allow guards to go in alone for their own safety, even if an alarm was raised. He checked that the front door was locked and left. It is possible that the staff did not take the alarm seriously because it was known to be very sensitive. One of the vault's owners even said that one time the alarm system had been triggered by a bug. Safe from interference from the law, the group continued onward drilling several holes through over six and a half feet of concrete using a diamond tip drill that had cost them 3,500 pounds. After breaking through the concrete, they realized their equipment could not get through the next layer of safety deposit cabinets. They left empty-handed and disappointed, driving off around 8 a.m. Friday morning, they had left the back door jar behind them just in case they returned. Two nights later, when the employees continued with their long weekend, the still-determined members returned to the vault with new equipment to finish the job. However, some of the group had gotten cold feet. They had to make do with two less conspirators to execute their plan again and dramatically. One member of the gang had a diabetic episode that night and collapsed, but these seasoned criminals were prepared with medication on hand to get him back on his feet. With their new equipment, they were able to break through the vault and into the safety deposit boxes, stealing the contents of, of over 70 boxes, holding millions of pounds of valuables. Once out with the loot, they made, it, they made a clean getaway with their driver and hid the valuables temporarily in garbage bins outside one of their homes. Shortly after, Detective Chief Inspector Paul Johnson described the scene law enforcement found in what was left of the vault, saying, The vault is covered in dust and debris and the floor is strewn with discarded safety deposit boxes and numerous power tools, including an angle grinder, concrete drills, and crowbars. It's organized, it's sophisticated, it's people who are planned it, and they know how they were going to go about and commit these crimes. Investigators attempted to trace the tools left behind, but the seasoned group of thieves had thought to scratch off the serial numbers. As many as 40 victims had valuable stolen from the safety deposit boxes. The majority of them belonged to nearby jewelry businesses who used the vault as a safe, and many of the stolen goods included bars of gold, platinum, and other precious metals. This is because Hatton Garden, not just the name of the vault, is rather the home of London's jewelry trade, but not necessarily in the form of luxury retailers. And the businesses here belong mainly to traders, dealers, jewelers, and craftspeople. Some of the victims lost hundreds of thousands of pounds because they had never insured the contents of their safety deposit boxes. Often they moved the goods in their box every week, or the pieces actually belonged to their clients, or even because they trusted the vault security. Some victims were late people just trying to keep their valuables safe. One woman said she kept her deceased mother's jewelry in the box, sadly admitting, I couldn't afford to insure it. I couldn't afford to wear it. That's why I kept it there. I thought it was safe. I had taken every precaution. Surprisingly, the public romanticized the heist, comparing it to Ocean's Eleven or a Guy Ritchie film. And press coverage was even described as affectionate. 
There was much speculation as who the thieves might be. So who were these mysterious criminals? Who, by way of action, seemed to have the swagger of leading men like George Clooney and Brad Pitt? Eventually it was revealed to the public that these group of thieves are actually a group of elderly men in their golden age. Further sens sensationalizing the case, the game gang came to have many nicknames alluding to them for many years, such as the Dad's Army, the Diamond Weezers, the Old Blaggers, the Granddad's Gang. The, BB the BBC described them as out-of-date thieves who were struggling with infirmity, even incontinence. This all might seem a gist, considering the fact that these OAPs in England, an acronym meaning Old Age Pensioner, accomplished a task that would be physically and mentally rigorous even for younger men. However, it is in fact relevant to how they were caught. But before we get into that, let's take a closer look at the players associated with the crime, including Brian Reeder, the eldest of the group at 76, who was credited as one of the ringleaders and was even known as the master. He had a history of illicit activity. In 1985, he had been present at a deadly stabbing over suspected stolen gold bullion. He fled the scene, was later arrested and charged with murder. Though he was ultimately acquitted of the crime, he was convicted on other charges and was sentenced to nine years in prison. At the time of the heist, Reeder was seemingly facing his own mortality. He had prostate cancer and a blood condition called neutropenia. Moreover, two years later, he had fallen while trimming trees in his garden and broke his neck. His wife had recently died. Daniel, Danny Jones, <coughs> then age 60, had been at the heart of the extensive planning. Jones was an experienced robber who had an expert knowledge of keys. After being arrested, he was one of the only members of the gang to publicly atone for his crimes, even running a statement saying, Whenever I get on Judgment Day, I will stand tall, but I want to make amends to all my loved ones and show I'm trying to change. He cooperated with the authorities to recover his share of the loot, which he buried in a cemetery plot belonging to his in-laws. Terrence, Terry Perkins, who's actually celebrated his 67th birthday during the second night of the raid, had been part of a 1983 robbery at Security Express that had been called one of the biggest robberies of the decade. Unlike the heist at Hatton Garden, the job was incredibly violent. They held up the staff with guns and even poured gas on one person while rattling a box of matches. John Kenny Collins, the 74-year-old, was also involved in the planning of the burglary and scouted Hatton Garden for the group. He served as the getaway driver to and from the scene. Collins had a reputation as a break-in expert who seemingly also made money scalping tickets to football matches. Several other conspirators all over the age of 40 were ultimately charged with lesser crimes, including Hugh Doyle, who was ultimately charged with concealing, converting, or transferring criminal property. Doyle was an Irish immigrant who had his own plumbing business, and when the cops came to arrest him, he was on a plumbing job for an 85-year-old Greek woman. The last two convicted were William Lincoln and Carl Wood, who were both only charged with conspiracy to burgle. John Harbinson was arrested with a gang, but was found to be not guilty of any involvement in the heist. Spending eight months in prison before his acquittal, the last figure was from four to only as Basil by other members of the crew, a shadow of a man who managed to slip through the authorities' fingers evading capture, even as the crime came crashing down around everyone else. 
because as smart as the plan was, created with care and attention of man with decades of experience, it was not airtight. They made a series of errors that did not take into account modern policing techniques. Within a mere six weeks of the heist, the police were closing in on the gang of granddads. Simon Atkinson, a security expert, analyzed the romance of the blatantly anachronistic heist, saying, Hatton Garden was like something from the 1980s. Generally, criminals default to methods that they're com comfortable with in that physical presence. The physical drilling is redolent of an earlier generation who are less technologically sophisticated. And it was, in fact, their comfort with the classics that was their downfall. As the investigation began, authorities suspected they needed many conspirators to pull off such a detailed plan. Examining CCTV, authorities identified a white Mercedes surveying the area before the heist, a car owned by Kenny Collins, a known lifelong criminal who, luckily for the police, did not know his license plates could bring down the entire operation. Just two weeks in the investigation, and with Kenny Collins as a the lead, they were poised to find the others. With legal permission, they bugged Collins' white Mercedes and Perkins' Citroen Saxo, Unsuspecting in their driver's seats, the men boasted triumphantly about the heist, the loot, and even complained about other gang members who they also had their cars bugged. Authorities also learned of meetups at the pub where the heist was planned, still occurring to discuss the potential of one last job. At the meetings, police had hidden cameras and lip readers in place to watch the men argue about how to launder goods and divide profits. On May 19, 2015, about a month and a half after the heist, authorities had their shot to catch almost all the criminals red-handed. The gang had planned to transfer about a million pounds worth of stolen goods between two of their cars. They did not know that the police were watching and recording nearby, ready for a raid. The second the exchange went down, and when it did, they were able to arrest nine suspects at the scene. From there, they could use the men's mobile phone records to garner more evidence, as the gang had not thought to use burner phones coordinating instead on their personal phones, the exceptions being the ultra-secretive Basil and Brian Reeder, who did not have a personal mobile phone, not for safety, because he was too old to find that technology necessary. Rather, he used his son's mobile phone when he needed to make a call. All in all, ten people were convicted in connection with conspiracy to burgle the Hatton Garden security vault. Brian Reeder, John Kenny Collins, Daniel Jones, and Terry Perkins pled guilty and were convicted of conspiracy to commit burglary. Because they pled guilty, they received lenient sentences of about seven years each. Considering how old they were at the time of the conviction, a longer sentence could have meant death in prison. In fact, Perkins died in jail in February 2018. Collins and Reeder had been set free in 2019, and Reeder was found too unwell to ever return but others may still face jail time. If they can't repay the 6.5 million pounds of loot, police still think they have. In addition, in 2020, Basil was threatened with an extended prison sentence if he failed to return his share of the loot as well. And in this, in the few years since the heist took place, it already inspired two feature films, a full-length documentary, a four-part television serial, a radio play, and countless other tributes to the ingenuity of men who might have gotten away with the perfect crime, had it not been for a few extra security cameras. And that is all we have for today's episode. Thank you for listening. 
follow us on Twitter at TrueCrimeNS. Let us know who you think we should cover in our next episode. And be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. Follow us on Twitter at TrueCrimeNS. Like us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps. Send us a voice message at anchor.fm slash true crime never sleeps slash message. Tune in next week for an all new episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.